Hello, Clear Skies Ahead listeners. This is Kelly Savoy, and I'm hoping you can take a moment of your time to rate and review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. We have produced over 60 episodes, and you can help us reach even more individuals that will benefit from the diverse experiences shared by our guests. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this new episode. Welcome to the American Meteorological Society's podcast series, Clear Skies Ahead, conversations about careers in meteorology and beyond. I'm Kelly Savoy, and I'm here with Emma Collins, and we'll be your hosts. We're excited to give you the opportunity to step into the shoes of an expert working in weather, water, and climate sciences. We're happy to introduce today's guest, Danae Carlis, Director of NOAA's National Severe Storms Laboratory, NSSL, in Norman, Oklahoma. Welcome today. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Emma. Thank you, Kelly. It's, I'm really excited to be here finally after a couple of months of trying to get me on, right? <laughs> well, we're very happy to have you, Danae. Could you tell us a little bit about what sparked your interest in science and how it influenced your educational path? Sure. Uh, my scientific interest really kind of started um, pretty early in my life. You know, I, I Got an opportunity to be friends with one of the few African-American medical doctors, uh, his son, uh, when I was in uh, middle school and high school. And uh, he used to tell me all these scientific stories about him doing chemistry experiments and just really made science fun. You know, once I got to high school, I was really good at science and math. And so I decided that that would be my career path. I thought I was going to be a medical doctor at first, but then I took biology 101 and biology 101 said, Danae, this is not for you. <laughs> and so I decided to transition over into chemistry and I focused on chemistry, you know, at Howard University uh, and graduated with my Bachelor of Science degree in, in chemistry uh, in 1999. Oh, wow. And so how did you um, get more interested in meteorology and atmospheric science? Well, meteorology kind of came in really late for me. Um, and I think it was mostly because... Um, uh, someone asked me, did I want to get a free degree? That particular individual was Dr. Vernon Morris, who was one of the professors at Howard University. And they had just started up this Howard University program in atmospheric science. And so they were looking for students from Howard. Uh, I knew that I wanted to get a master's degree. I knew that I did not want to continue down the chemistry path. And so it was, it just, you know, it was just the grace of, you know, Dr. Vernon Morris, you know, providing that opportunity to me and offering up that opportunity to me. Because uh, to be honest, I was one of those kids that really didn't think about going to college uh, because I knew it was expensive. And so I didn't think I could afford to go to college uh, growing up. But it really wasn't until uh, my mother asked me a pretty simple question. What do I plan on doing after college? I mean, after high school. Uh, and that particular question basically changed my life. And once she told me, uh, I told her the wrong answer, and she told me that I'm an idiot for thinking that way, uh, <laughs> that I wasn't that I wasn't going to go to college. She kind of let me loose and let me, you know, fly basically. And three degrees later, you know, I, I have my bachelor's, master's, PhD in. Uh, chemistry slash atmospheric science and meteorology. And uh, here I am today. 
Well, that's awesome. And so when you switched from the chemistry to getting the degree in meteorology, were you were you pleasantly surprised? Were you like, oh, I really like this. This is I'm glad I did this. Yeah, absolutely. I took my first uh, intro to atmospheric science course in in in, a, in the master's program at Howard, and I just fell in love with it. Uh, it was it spoke to who I am as a person uh, because you know who I am is really about service. You know, service is really important to me. And the fact that meteorology touches everybody's daily lives just made a lot of sense. It was practical for me. You know, I just didn't know it was a career growing up. All I knew is that, oh, you know, meteorologists are on television and I'm too ugly to be on television. So I was like, you know, I need to I need to do <laughs> I need to do something a little bit different. Uh, so I got to I got to be in the background behind the scenes and, uh, you know, just doing the research. Uh, so that's really what I love. And the fact that I had the opportunity to meet a lot of people from NOAA by joining that program, that master's program at Howard. That's what really introduced me to NOAA because I didn't know what NOAA was before I started that master's degree, to be honest. So what opportunities did you pursue inside or outside of school that you knew would be beneficial to securing a job in your profession? Well, I'll I'll say I did do an internship. I was part of the REU program back in 1998. Uh, I don't mind saying how old I am either. So uh, it was way a long time ago, right? (laughs) (laughs) I tried tried that particular program. I did a a, a internship in chemistry and analytical chemistry up at the City University of New York. And it was really that opportunity that made me decide, hey, Danae, I, th- I think you want to do something different, uh, not be in a lab with a lab coat on each and every day. What can you do to help to impact people's everyday lives? Uh, and so getting into that that atmospheric science program, I did my master's research out at Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland. So I was able to work for the most part almost every day out at NASA for almost two years. Uh, And that was just overall kind of life-changing, getting out there to the laboratory doing, you know, research. Uh, It was mostly atmospheric chemistry research using the total ozone mapping spectrometer, TOM satellite. And then there were a couple of guys out there that really encouraged me to and told me, you know, Danae, you have what it takes to continue your education and get that PhD. Uh, and the fact that, you know, Howard University, um, which was just, it, it was absolutely uh, incredible to me, an amazing to me, you know, allowed me that opportunity. You know, they supported me throughout my uh, master's and my PhD and just gave me some some amazing opportunities to really kind of pursue my passion of people and science. And so, you know, meteorology is just that perfect intersection for me because it, it really does touch everyone's everyday life. What was your first job in the field and how did you end up where you are today? Well, back in 2002, I was approached by NOAA, uh, the Office of Education at NOAA. They said that they had a program that was looking to bring in more minorities uh, into to the atmospheric sciences, into NOAA as an agency. Uh, it had been a priority for the agency. NOAA had actually supported the Howard University program and helping to get that particular program spun up with the atmospheric science program and a degree. NOAA had played a really major role kind of early in my career. And then some of the scientists coming over from 
uh, from NOAA and giving talks and those kind of things just made a, a really, really important, um, helped me to understand that this is the path that I really wanted to follow. And so when you think about like uh, getting into the field, right, and, you know, getting that first job opportunity within NOAA, which was a research position out in Hawaii, in Honolulu. Uh, so I was still a student, but at the Lucky. same time, NOAA, yeah, NOAA, <laughs> NOAA recruited me to to join the agency. And I, I, I remember going home and telling my wife, I said, hey, you know, I got a job offer, but it's in Hawaii. What do you think about moving to Hawaii? She said, let's pack our bags. We out of here. So, <laughs> the right response. <laughs> exactly. That was not a hard conversation uh, to have with my wife. But we moved to Hawaii in 2004 after I finished up some of my coursework at Howard, you know, finished up two years of additional coursework for the Ph.D., uh, and we basically, Noah moved us to Hawaii uh, in 2004 uh, to 2007. And I finished my degree in 2007, my PhD in 2007. So I had the opportunity to work at the Honolulu Forecast Office. And I also worked at the Pacific Region headquarters. And I had some amazing mentors out in Hawaii, Ken Waters, um, Dave Chin at the University of Hawaii, one of the professors out there. They were absolutely uh, incredible and amazing. Just helped me to grow because I, you know, I did numerical weather prediction for my PhD and asked me, did I even know how to code when I first started that particular uh, career path? And I'll tell you, no, not at all. Uh, and and so I really I'm had sure to, you uh, do now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I had to teach myself a lot of things, and you know, they had to be patient with me uh, with my overall kind of development, you know, and so they, they were amazing people, amazing mentors to me that really kind of helped spark and support my professional growth really early in my career. And I, I'll tell you, you know, mentors really do play a huge role, especially early on in, in folks, uh, in one's career. Uh, so they did me amazing. They did, they did an excellent job of helping me to grow. You've spoken a lot about um, the impact that these mentors had on you, but how might a young student come into finding a mentor? I mean, is it something that happens organically or did you or did they actually have like a program set up for you that would partner you with other professors? Yeah, I, I think when you go into grad school, you automatically get uh, some type of advisor, right? When you're getting going to get your master's or your Ph.D., you got to go through the process of selecting an advisor or a research mentor uh, that'll, you know, kind of guide you through that particular process. But, I, you know, I just encourage students to talk to as many folks as possible. Keep, you know, start to develop your network early on where you can have some informal conversations, informal mentoring opportunities with, you know, folks that are within the, the university that you're sitting in. But then also the people, there are people outside of the organization that you can talk to, people at NOAA, people at uh, other universities that can give you some amazing advice and just some examples of what life can can look like uh, throughout your career. And for me, being first generation student, you know, college student, but also in some sense, first generation professional, right? Where I, I grew up working in a restaurant, I did a, my first job was as a janitor. And so I didn't really know what it meant to work in an office setting. So I had to learn that from others and, you know, get the lay of the land and uh, from other folks. And so I was able to just, you know, I just try to try to talk to folks about different aspects of 
what it means to be a, a scientific researcher, to be a, a scientist uh, in the National Weather Service or in, in NOAA research. And so I just encourage uh, the young folks to, to start to develop that network early, um, but at the same time, try to keep in contact with that network as well. You know, once a year email or something like that, letting them know what you're up to. Yeah, and I find that when you ask people about their positions or what their job is like, they're they're very, very um, eager to, to tell you about it. Exactly. So it's like, you know, don't be afraid to, to just start up a conversation with someone and ask them what they do, because it certainly helps you decide whether it's something you want to pursue or not. And I wanted to um, to ask you, and I'm sure some of our listeners would like to know this too, once you have a position in NOAA, is it easy to move around once you're in? Like, do they have lots of internal positions where, where you know, uh, employees can apply for other positions elsewhere? Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> it's so easy to move around uh, when you get in, into a federal agency because of, number one, retirements. People are retiring all the time. Uh, number two, people have gaps. Organizations have gaps. So like me, I went on detail which basically meant I go. I went on an assignment. I was still working for the Environmental Modeling Center and the National Weather Service, but they allowed me to go on a rotational assignment where I could learn some new skills and uh, kind of test my knowledge in, in different uh, spaces across the agency. And I got an opportunity to go work for the Homeland Security Program Office. Didn't know anything about what Homeland Security and NOAA had to do together. I was mostly a, you know, a weather, you know, a research meteorologist. So I went from, you know, coding and analyzing weather data and all of those kind of things to sitting in a, in the Homeland Security Program Office. Uh, but then after that, went to work for NOAA headquarters working in policy. I got an opportunity to be the policy advisor for Dr. Rick Spinrad, who at that particular moment in time was the NOAA chief scientist. Got an opportunity to, to work for uh, Vice Admiral Manson Brown, one of the, the first African-American three-star Coast Guard admiral ever in our country. I, I had that opportunity. I worked with him for a year. Uh, and so you you for young people, you being flexible, having being agile in terms of your overall skill set and uh, where you feel you can make an impact. I think the number one thing that I want to mention, though, is, you know, being scientists, we're very analytical thinkers, very process oriented people where we have the ability to focus in on particular tasks and subjects for long, long periods of time. And I found those that particular skill transferable to many different places, whether I was at the Homeland Security Program Office or whether I was working for Dr. Springred or Vice Admiral Manson Brown uh, on his on their policy teams. You know, I found the the scientific skills that I developed uh, pretty you know pretty useful, very useful to be honest. And you know, having that ability uh, to 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 be an analytical thinker, a critical thinker, is really really important to being successful in life in general. Could you walk us through a typical day on the job as the director of NOAA's National Severe Storms Laboratory? Are you sure you really want to hear that? That is not the most fun thing. <laughs> we do. We want to know. Okay. Uh, how about I make up a <laughs> what I wish it was like? 
What you think? What you don't think is interesting, we will find interesting. All right. Well, here, here it goes. <laughs> so you know, I really do kind of start my mornings, kind of starting to take a look at any emails, looking to see if there's any, you know, taskers coming from you know NOAA headquarters or OAR headquarters trying to just get a feel for what the day is going to be like, uh, because every day is pretty different, to be honest. And then I go into probably a series of meetings. I'll, I'll have a staff meeting with my senior leadership team. I'll have a like a manager's meeting once a week. And throughout the rest of the week is meetings with different people across the agency or interagency meetings. Uh, so I spend probably, probably on average, maybe four hours, uh, probably on video calls like this uh, per day. Um, but it kind of depends on what's what's happening. Uh, but I say somewhere around the three to four hour range. Sometimes it can be worse. Sometimes it can be better where I only have maybe one meeting uh, a day. Uh, but but on average, it's somewhere around three to four. And then I'll take a, a walk around the laboratory and just, you know, try to meet people and see what's going on. Talk to them about their research. I have to set aside time to do that, though, because for the most part, a lot of people are kind of demanding of your time and wanting my time to do certain things or to talk about certain things. But I also, uh, again, try to make time for kind of one-on-one meetings with my deputy director, uh, as well as uh, my science uh, level division chiefs. Then after that, it's, it's time for lunch. <laughs> it's then time to go home, you know, and and so I, you know, it's 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 really a lot of fun in in a sense that I get an opportunity to, of course, set the direction for an organization like the National Severe Storms Laboratory, where we, you know, we are the premier organization in the country in the world, really, for understanding severe weather, um, whether that be lightning, tornadoes, uh, flash floods. Uh, all of the above. We we do a lot of amazing work, and that includes both field research and research that just happens sitting here at your computer, logging into a, a supercomputer and, and developing numerical weather prediction models like the one-on-forecast system. Uh, it really is a lot of fun, and it's, it's, it's a diversity of skills and talents that we have in this particular laboratory that makes it a really attractive place to work um, and a really fun place to work. Um, and so, you know, my, my biggest issue is that, you know, I work with a bunch of scientists that are introverted. I'm an extrovert, as you can see. Uh, so sometimes they want me to get up out of their office so they can get their work done. <laughs> so what about um, like the work hours or the work day? Is it a typical nine to five job? Does that change depending on, you know, severe weather or what's going on? Is it different? depending on the week or even the day? Yeah, we're, we're a research organization. So for the most part, we're, we are very much so nine to five. If, we're, uh, if there's severe weather close by, then yes, we will uh, approve some of our staff to operate one of our radars called the Advanced Technology Demonstrator, which is a phased array radar uh, where we want to collect data. We want to collect, we're a research organization, so we want to study uh, the atmosphere. We want to study uh, severe convection. Uh, so we'll we'll turn that particular system on and some of our radar engineers, as well as our radar meteorologists, scientists, uh, will, you know, they'll work pretty much uh, through the event. Uh, you know, it's, it's we're, since we're research, we're 
a lot different than operations. Although operations, the National Weather Service forecast office is right behind me over my right shoulder. And also the Storm Prediction Center is right right in here in this particular facility over my left shoulder. Uh, so I get it. We get an opportunity to engage a lot with the op, with our operational partners within the National Weather Service. They're mostly on working, you know, the shift work and those kind of things. And so we are mostly, again, nine to five. But if there's some weather happening close by, uh, we will we will definitely uh, work a little bit harder. But then again, we do go out in the field. We have mobile radars. We have a mobile mezzanine truck downstairs. Uh, so we do field research and uh, conduct field campaigns as well, working with NSF and other partners. Uh, so when our folks go out there in the field, that's when they probably work 12, 14 hour days because wow. they're, you know, actually, you know, they may be in Mississippi or Alabama studying tornadoes uh, or or QLCS uh, events, basically. Uh, so those folks, when they go out there, they they it's it's a long, long day, basically. So it sounds like you really enjoy working with the people that you work with and there's opportunities to interact with, you know, other departments and organizations. Is there anything else you like most about the job? Anything else I like most? Mm, that's a hard question because, I, you know, I got into leadership and management thinking that you know i really want to be able to support science and move science forward and set the the strategy and direction for science within an organization right and the fact that i'm kind of living that out at the director level which is very different than being the the actual scientist you know my background is in science but i'm not the one actually doing the science you know i'm i'm more so helping to support and direct the science right uh, which is very different. And so there's there's certain times, you know, in one's career where you're going to, you know, sometimes I miss being the one to do the coding and running the model and or going out and doing the field research. Uh, but at the same time, I signed up for, you know, uh, for to be the leader and the 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 leader, you know, leadership is really about people and people development. And that's the part that I that I really, really enjoy the most is is getting the chance to see people grow and uh, develop professionally throughout their careers. Because, you know, I honestly firmly believe that it's really important for people to challenge themselves, to make themselves uncomfortable. And part of my job and what I tell my staff is part of my job is, is to make you a little uncomfortable uh, in this particular space, because that's really where I believe people grow. You know, uh, I think if you have a little bit of discomfort, uh, I, my Vice Admiral Brown used to call it being comfortably uncomfortable. If you have a little bit of discomfort, um, it actually does help you, pushes you, it motivates you, it helps you to, to, to move forward with life uh whether that and, and try to overcome that challenge uh and and you know for folks that work with me or for me um it, I, I really do try to try to challenge them and help them to 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 be uh, a better scientist or engineer so speaking of challenges what are some of the biggest challenges you face while working in the field in the field of meteorology sure or as a director on the director level okay uh probably i would probably say um, just 
time. You know, time is of the essence. It is so important. Uh, I don't have enough time to do everything that I really want to do. And so trying to find work-life balance, uh, you mentioned nine to five. My job probably isn't nine to five. It's, I probably put in a couple extra hours every day because of the 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 demand, right? You know, we may, I may get an email from headquarters. I may get an email from NOAA. I may get an email from some other institution asking for uh, some information about severe storms. Uh, you never know. I told you every day is is different. And so that that really is the challenge, is trying to find enough time to get the things done in a timely fashion, in an effective way. The other challenge I would say, you know, from a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective is, you know, I really do want to see our, our field, our field of meteorology uh, advance as it pertains to DEI. I want to see people that look like me come into this organization and make an impact and, you know, do amazing science. Uh, so I'm always looking for it for that, um, and I'm I'm trying to promote it, and you know, making sure that folks that are that come from uh, black and brown communities see themselves in our field is really important to me. Can you expand a little bit on how you feel that the integration of social science and physical sciences is going to help NSSL to engage and serve people that are from underserved communities? Yeah, I, I think the the social science piece is extremely important. And I'm not a social scientist. I'm, again, a meteorologist. So the physical science, it can be very um, done in an isolated kind of manner rather than a collaborative manner sometimes. And so if we if you don't integrate the physical with the social, then how do you really truly know what people need, right? You know, as a scientist, I can have a great idea, right, and develop the concept, conduct the research. But if I never test out my research or communicate with folks from or with the public about the work or the stakeholder that's going to be using my tool of technology or my science, then how do I how do I know it's actually useful? And so like social science to me really just allows that ability and that that focus on developing tools, technology, systems that are actually useful to the public and to the stakeholder. And so it, it really does provide that opportunity for you as the researcher to test out your theories in a public manner. And we do that every single day here at the National Severe Storms Laboratory in our hazardous weather test bed. Which again is right over my left shoulder. If you wanted to really know, <laughs> and we so we bring in you know researchers, forecasters, and you know from academia, from the National Weather Service, from private sector companies, broadcast meteorologists. They come into our test bed area, and they test out the latest innovations. You know things that aren't actually available in our field. It's is really you know it's it's research based. Uh, work, tools, technology, systems that we've developed, and they come in and they take a look at them. You know, projects like Threats in Motion, right, uh, where we're trying to change the paradigm for uh, warnings for our country uh, to be more equitable. And so basically what that includes right now is our uh, warnings are mostly, you know, like these static boxes that we put out there and the forecaster has to update them every 30, 45 minutes. But what if with threats in motion, we could have a like a box or a, a, some type of plume that basically follows the storm. 
And the forecaster is part of that particular process. Every minute or every time the radar updates, the the um, the warning updates, right? It's a ton of information. It's a different way of doing warnings, but it actually makes it more equitable because, you know, with depending on if you're in the box or outside of the box, you may not even get that warning, right, uh, from the current warning paradigm. If you're in the polygon, you may just be east of that polygon and you won't get that warning for another 30 minutes until they reissue the warning. You compare that to what we're trying to do with threats in motion. As that storm moves, if that plume gets right over you, you'll get a warning. So you'll get that 30, 45 minute time frame uh, in order to get yourself prepared for the severe weather that's impending. So. You know, that's how I kind of see the integration of the physical and the social sciences. I think it's a really important aspect in a way to do science that is use inspired, that actually matters to people. Uh, you know, when you integrate the people aspect into the R&D that we do, then you have better products that come out of that. People are served better and especially underserved communities. Yeah, because without that, there's like a gap, you know, there's a missing piece. It, it just, you, you need that in order to, to know that you're doing the right things and helping the right people. So I think that's excellent that the organization has that opportunity to test out things. Yeah. It, and it's very unique too. It's a very unique uh, way of doing research. And the one thing about it is that you get pretty much consistent feedback every year about what's great about your system and what's wrong with your system, right? And then you get you get to go back to the drawing board and fix the things that are wrong. You get another another opportunity at it. And so, you know, within the HWT, we, we complete and conduct all of these surveys and all of that information goes back to the scientists that put their, you know, new technology or their innovation into the hazardous weather test bed for, for feedback. And you get to go back and you, you start back over and try to make it better and just keep in incrementally improving it each and every year. And that, to me, makes the most sense in terms of effective research and development, because then it's, it actually is well tested, well vetted, especially really use inspired work that is actually going to make an impact in folks everyday life. So could you talk a little bit about your plans to inspire more Black, Indigenous, people of color in meteorology and what some goals are that NSSL has for this important area of fo uh, focus? Yeah, so so it, from just me personally, I'm actually the first African-American director of a NOAA research laboratory. That means something to me, but it also means something to other people that look like me as well. Of course. Um, and... And so it, it really is, you know, I feel like I need to make sure that, you know, I'm available to have those types of conversations and not not shy away from those conversations. You know, I don't <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess I feel like I need to be the type of leader, uh, you know, in this particular space that. Uh, is able to have those really difficult conversations with people like because there there are challenges uh, working 
within this particular space and, you know, which such as, you know, being the only one, right? I remember going to the Environmental Modeling Center and I was one of the few African-American PhD scientists working there. And this, and being young, that can be a little bit intimidating. It really was the other folks around me that helped me to be comfortable being in that particular space, feeling like I could contribute, knowing what it is that was really expected of me in that particular role. And so for me, it's really important that I serve as one of those uh, people that can be available for those those conversations when folks want to have them. And it doesn't just include, you know, African-American or Hispanic folks. It includes the entirety of our field, because I, I really believe that if we have these kind of conversations, that it'll actually help to grow uh, and create a more inclusive space because people will know, you know, a lot of things with regards to DEI is because of ignorance. And, you know, I really want to make sure people are well informed and that they're that they understand these different perspectives because we do have a different perspective for sure. Um, so I, I take it pretty personal that I have this particular opportunity and I want to use it to, you know, hopefully inspire that next generation of scientists because that's how I got into the field because I had, you know, the first African-American doctor, one of the few African-American doctors in Tulsa to, you know, I just happened to be friends with his son and he would actually, you know, sit us down before we go out and do something stupid on a Friday night. And and he would tell us all of these stories about what it meant to be a scientist and what it went, meant to be a medical doctor. And so, you know, I, I feel like I'm I'm following in the footsteps of some giants and I make I need to make sure that I'm I put myself out there and make sure that I'm available. And so from an NSSL perspective, you know, we 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 do have our NSSL diversity and inclusion and sustainability team that we have here with a, a major focus on creating an inclusive culture, uh, sustaining an inclusive culture within the organization, uh, ensuring that we have some of those opportunities to to bring in young people, uh, whether it be on internships through the RU program or some of the other NOAA education programs, we want to make sure that our that, that the space is welcoming. Uh, so that's really about the culture of the organization. But then also we want to make sure we're recruiting and retaining, you know, talent. You know, uh, being a federal in a federal facility or not necessarily facility, but being a in a federal uh, workplace, there's certain limits to the science that we can do and the amount of money that we can pay people. You know, we're not the private sector. And so people have to really want to be part of a federal organization, whether that be you're working for the Cooperative Institute as an academic uh, employee or you're actually a federal employee. You got to really want to do this mission. And if you want to do this mission, we're going to accept you. We're going to love on you. We're going to help to help you develop as a as a leader, as a scientist. Um, and then again, my thing is I want to challenge you. Uh, I really do feel like, you know, if I can challenge you, find ways to challenge you that you'll grow uh, beyond measure. And that's how I see really NSSL from a diversity, equity, inclusion perspective, really helping uh, to lead the way uh, in in this particular space. Do you feel like things are actually improving and things are headed in the right direction and you see some positive change? 
Yeah, I think it again with diversity, equity, and inclusion, you just got to know this is it's a marathon, not a sprint. Right. Uh, it is it's something that you you have to build over time. You know, I just got in this job maybe uh, what January the thirtieth. I feel like we have the right pieces in place to sustain and create the type of culture that I want to see. Is it where am I happy with where we are? No. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not happy <laughs> with where we are. We have a lot to 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 do uh, in, in terms of our growth. But at the same time, do I feel like we have the structures in place to be successful in this particular area? Yes, I do. It all depends on kind of the buy-in from the staff here within the organization. But then it also depends on, you know, young people wanting to come to to Norman, Oklahoma. I'll tell you what. It, Norman is a fantastic place to work. You'll never, you won't find a facility like this anywhere in the country where you have, you know, the National Weather Service right behind me. You got the scientists in here. You got social scientists in here. You got engineers in here. You got the School of Meteorology right upstairs with the faculty as well as the students taking classes in the same facility. This is a very, very unique place. It's a great place to grow as a meteorologist. And I really do want to ensure that I help people get into this particular space, whether that be coming to the University of Oklahoma, taking classes here, getting a bachelor's, master's, or PhD, and working with NSSL scientists to do amazing research while you're at the same time can interact with the National Weather Service, your operational partners for yet for that research. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing place. I just picture it like a college campus or something. <laughs> you know, it like, is. It is on the college campus, but it's on the kind of the outskirts a little bit of the college. So I could walk to the basketball facility. I could walk to the stadium. It's about a mile away, you know, for football games and those kind of things. But to me, it's a space where you don't have to feel like you're the only, you know, it's not a it's not like you're on a college campus where you're at a university and you you have like 30 meteorology students or 10 meteorology students. We have hundreds of meteorologists around here for you to engage with, right? Whether they're professional or students or professors or whatever, you can do it all here, I think. Well, Danae, we are so grateful for everything you've told us about your career. However, before you go, we always ask our guests one last fun question at the end of the show. So what is your all-time favorite movie? Oof. That's another hard question. You guys are not easy <laughs> question askers. <laughs> now you guys are amazing hosts. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there's got to be some, there's got to be one though that you're just like, I love this movie. Love, I've seen it a million times. I'll see it a million more. Uh, I, I'd, pr- I'd probably say uh, Black Panther, the first one. I remember, and the reason why I say that because it's the only movie where I actually dressed up <laughs> Uh, in African gear, (laughs) in African clothing to actually go to the movies. Uh, And I saw that movie in the theater probably five or six times. I was so amazed by that film. Uh, And the fact that I actually went to the same university as Chadwick Boseman. He was there when I was there. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, I I, I don't think I actually knew who he wasn't anybody back then. He was just a college student like me. So I didn't know he was going to grow up to be like this amazing actor and all of those kind of things. But, you know, the fact that I was at the, at the, 
at the school with him. And some of my friends that were in fine arts actually knew him and they studied with him and all of those kind of things made it really, really cool. So uh, Black Panther, first one, uh, is just an amazing film and a really inspiring film. Absolutely. And seeing it, you have to see those on the big screen because... It had just so much going on, and and it was. I agree with you. I love that one too. I, I yeah. love almost all uh, those. Although, like the I don't Marvel know if you comics. call them. All, yeah, all the Marvel movies are just yeah. so well done these days. Um, but you have to see them in the theater. You do. I hundred percent agree. So this was fun. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your work experiences with us. Yeah, no problem. I really appreciate the opportunity to kind of share my story and my background, how I got here. Um, We didn't even talk about uh, my role on the AMS Council. So that's a good thing. (laughs) Because I'm new. (laughs) I know. I mean, I, I, you know, I thought about bringing it up, but we are running out of time. So... (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you again. Well, that's our show for today. Please join us next time, rain or shine. Clear Skies Ahead, Conversations About Careers in Meteorology and Beyond is a podcast by the American Meteorological Society. Our show is edited by Johnny Lay. Technical direction is provided by Peter Killalay. Our theme music is composed and performed by Steve Savoy. And the show is hosted by Emma Collins and Kelly Savoy. You can learn more about the show online at www dot A-M-E-T-S-O-C dot O-R-G forward slash clear skies. And you can contact us at skypodcast at A-M-E-T-S-O-C dot O-R-G if you have any feedback or would like to become a future guest.